Hello, and welcome to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. I'm your host, Brian Wendell, and in this show, you're going to hear from some of the most inspiring, interesting, and insanely talented people in this sport we all love. First to 15 is for anyone in the fencing community, and even for those just checking out fencing to see what it's all about. So whether you're an Olympian or Paralympian, a newcomer, a seasoned veteran, a fencing parent, a fan, or anyone else in this wonderful community, this podcast is for you. With that, let's get to today's episode. Enjoy. Today, we welcome back to the podcast, Sapriya Nair, 14-year-old foil and epe fencer from Washington who fences with the Rain City Fencing Center. When we last spoke to Sapriya about a year ago, she had just received an award for her experiment, Neurofencing, which explores the importance of pre-bout warm-ups through a neuroscientific lens. Now we're catching up with her to see how that research has evolved and what new insights she has for us. So if you missed our first conversation, you might want to consider listening to that one first. That's episode eight, and then you can kind of hear how this all got started. But to quickly catch you up, Sapria had always heard from her coaches that these pre-bout warm-ups were important, but then she wanted to find the data to prove it. So she set out to investigate that for herself using special equipment to test it. We're going to get into that here in a second. And that was the experiment called neurofencing. Now she's back with some more data and insights. Uh, welcome, Sapria. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to be back on the podcast again. Yeah, this is awesome. And we're recording this in Phoenix at Summer Nationals. And so if someone were to see your presentation here and they'd say, you know, what's that all about? Do you have kind of an elevator pitch that you'd like to give people, especially for those who might be listening that are just hearing about neurofencing for the first time? Yeah, so if I can do this in the one sentence, go. I mm -hmm. think that would be easiest for people. Yeah. So the whole goal of neurofencing as a project is to analyze the impact of a 15-minute warm-up prior to fencing. Mm -hmm. And the way we're looking at that is on the muscle side, you have the muscle movement time or the time it takes from the start on guard position to finish fencing lunge. Mm -hmm. And so we are expecting that that time will reduce by about 10%. We're looking at the heart as well, and we're looking at how that transitions from a resting to a active state. Mm -hmm. Then we're looking at how the brain also transitions from a relaxed to an alert state. So just as a brief way of summarizing the findings, the muscle movement time for what we found did reduce by about 10% okay. after the 15-minute warm-up. So essentially, you hit faster after you warm up. The heart rate and BPM does transition from a relaxed to an alert state. And that also, given that the heart has to pump more blood and more nutrients to the muscles, also helps the muscles in that they don't have to contract as hard and they can work more efficiently. Mm -hmm. The brain is still a work in progress as the EEG or electroencephalogram is a very noisy set of data. Okay. So that is still a work in progress. But yeah, I think that is one sentence go. If, yeah, uh, and it's really interesting. And we should say that it kind of brings some actual scientific data to what coaches and others like just say anecdotally, you know, well, you've got to do this. And that's kind of what inspired you to do the research in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. So let's paint a picture of what has happened over the past year since we last talked, because I know that this kind of neuroscience, neurofencing journey that you've been on has only gotten more interesting. Yeah, so last year when we last talked, 
I was using equipment called Backyard Brains, mm -hmm. the companies founded by Dr. Greg Gage. These are kind of just small Adreno kits that you can use to see your own activity and the own neuron action potentials going on in your body. But last year, I had actually only done this on myself because mm -hmm. of COVID restrictions. So right. uh, this was not a very statistically significant sample. But since we last talked, Dr. Mariam Zachary, whom you actually connected me to. Right. I&I, yeah. we're one of USFNC's yeah. partners, right? Yes. She gave me the opportunity to do the same experiments with multiple fencers over there which was Very kind cool. of surreal at first, yeah. but then I got connected to Dr. Petrino, who kind of helped me out in setting up the experiments and the timeline and when I would go to New York eventually and experiment with people. Mm -hmm. Dr. Miriam Zachary also helped me recruit fencers for the study. Nice. But before I did all of that, I had to go through what's called an institutional review board or an IRB. And that's because you're working with human this subjects? Is, yes, okay. it's because I'm working with human subjects in particular. So what you have to do for that is you have to submit a study protocol in that you list what exactly you're doing in a very detailed manner. Mm. And then you have to, since we're dealing with fencers age 10 to 15, we have to put in parent consent forms. So the parents right. have to agree that their children can partake in such a study and a lot of other things need to be given to the IRB, and then they have to approve the study. It took actually a long time for me to do that. Scheduled experiment time was the end of March, but mm -hmm. we only got the approval by February. And gotcha. Yeah. Just, so that, it just takes a long time. It does, does, yeah. And, and they probably also don't see a bunch of like 14-year-olds sending in no, stuff to look at, which no. <laughs> that's just a side note that that no. seems like really cool. <laughs> but it's probably the most time-consuming paperwork I've ever done. Yeah. I don't look forward to doing that again, but <laughs> it's part of research, so we have no other choice. It's a good experience, right? Yeah. After that was done, then I actually went to New York and... I got to use so many new pieces of equipment that I thought I'd never see in my nice. life. I got to use the uh, Delsus Trigno system, which are eight small EMG plus like accelerometer and gyroscope sensors, which you guys can learn more in my talk on July 7th. So, right. so that was on for monitoring muscle activity. Got to see the neuroelectrics cap, even though it looks super complicated, but it seriously looks like one of those things from Alien movies, but <laughs> it was super cool to use all of these medical-grade equipment instead of small adrenal kits from where I started. I also got to do the experiments on multiple fencers, which mm -hmm. also boosted the sample size. Sure. But yeah, it was a thrilling experience overall. And so what is the advantage of this medical-grade equipment over just you know what, you, what anybody could go purchase online? I think that the Backyard Brains equipment that anyone can purchase really is a good starter yeah, to sure. understanding how your neurons look like, but it obviously has its own defects in that it is pretty noisy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the software gets a little buggy, it crashes, you know, all of the technical difficulties that, sure. you know. But then once you start using these like FDA approved medical equipment, then you can't really eliminate noise and data. It's always right. there. But 
there's going to be a lot less of it. And it's just something that is just more reliable, you know. It's been approved and tested, and it's something that I think people would be more comfortable in using. Mm -hmm. I think it's just better that you use that. Obviously, it's very hard to get access to these things, but once you get them, they do give you a very nice quality of data. So it really does help. And then have you had an opportunity to analyze those new findings? And if so, what have you what have you uncovered that might be might have confirmed what you earlier knew or even changed something? Yeah, so I have actually analyzed most of the data. Mm -hmm. I have completely analyzed the muscle movement data that I've collected. And I have found that the muscle movement time or the time after warming up did improve by about 10%. That did kind of strike me a little because when I did this on myself, I got about an 18% improvement. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, you know, this improvement is going to be different for everyone. Right. And it varies from person to person. Mm -hmm. But it was good that we got an overall improvement of 10%. So that way it did confirm that, you know, warming up does benefit the muscles and it essentially you can score faster touches. I have also done completely the heart analysis and I have confirmed that the heart does transition to a alert state from a sort of resting state, mm -hmm. which, you know, is kind of obvious to us. It was obvious to me when I did it with the adrenal kits at first of backyard brains. Right. But this kind of just reinforced it through seeing the increased like minimum heart rate and seeing like the intervals between each of these heartbeats decrease. And so all the data sort of reinforced the idea that the heart now is beating faster, it's providing enough oxygen to all the muscles. The brain or EEG analysis is still in progress okay. because of the fact that it is pretty noisy data. We are going to have to go through more complicated analysis in order to get out conclusions with that. But so that's kind of where the data analysis is at. And so take us in the room where the actual experiment was conducted. Like mm -hmm. what if I were to walk in there, what would I see? Like, is it someone doing fencing lunges with a bunch of wires coming out of them? Because I've seen photos from your original experiment. Yeah. Tell me what, what this would have looked like. Since this is an audio podcast, yeah. describe what it might have looked like. Okay. For those who have not seen photos of my last year's setup, I can try and describe this to the best of my ability, yeah. but obviously seeing this in a picture would be easier. Sure, and we'll link to some of that in the show notes of the episode as well. So. Okay, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but last year, the backyard brains, when they originally sell the cables that you need to use, they're only about six feet long. Mm. So they aren't actually long enough. So I had to extend the cables. And so in that experiment... I had a bunch of cables coming out of, like, yep. I had to stick the electrodes on, then the cables had to be long enough to reach my laptop. They were and, on your arm, right? Yeah, yeah, the electrodes were on my arm, right arm, and on my right leg. Mm -hmm. But obviously, this sort of tethering is not going to be ideal. Right. But if you were to walk into the Mount Sinai setup in the middle of the experiment, you would probably see it is a pretty small room, to be honest, as it's in New York. So as soon as a fencer walks in, we'll, me, myself, and 
couple other postdocs who are helping me with the experiment, which I generously thank them for mm -hmm. taking the time out of their work to yeah, totally. help me over on my experiment. So first they would sit down in a chair probably, and then we would get their brain and heart activity. So you would see Wade, who was my EEG or brain guy, who was super helpful. He would help us with attaching the neuroelectrics, like the brain cap mm -hmm. on the participant. You might also see Jamie or Abby, Jamie Wood or Abby Sawyer, who are wonderful people to help me with the EKG and the Polar H10 strap, which they would attach to the participant. Mm -hmm. And then they would probably be sitting in that chair for around two, two minutes or so to get a recording of their brain and heart activity. Then, Like the resting baseline? Yes, Got like it. a baseline, yes. Okay. After that, they would probably be going over to the next small little section of the room mm -hmm. where there would be a target board, which would be attached to like a big climber. And then they would be lunging towards that mm -hmm. 10 times. If this were on the no warm-up day, then they would go after this, then sit back down. Then they would get their brain and heart activity recorded, and mm -hmm. then they would leave. But if this were the warm-up day, then probably before you see them lunge, you'd probably see them listening to me explaining the 15-minute warm-up exercises. Right, because you've designed a, a warm-up specifically yeah. for this. Yes. Yes. I'll probably be explaining to them what the warm-up exercises are and how many you do of each of them. Yeah. So then they would probably be doing that for the next 15 minutes, and then after that they would be sitting back down to get their brain and heart activity after they warm up. Then they would get everything off. They would lunge towards the same target board again. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we'd get their brain and heart activity again, and then maybe they'll have a cookie and leave. So, <laughs> so Now yeah. I know what you use to bribe these subjects, a cookie, okay. That's awesome. I find that super interesting. And have others reached out to you and said, hey, I heard about this, and you know, coaches, fencers, other people? Do you mean like the how we recruited people? No, just like once people heard that the research that you're doing, whether here at, at Summer Nationals or others, have people said, I'm interested in learning more about this? And what's been kind of the response over the past year from just the community? The research is kind of uh, fresh off the plate. So sure, sure. There, there hasn't been a lot of uh, exposure time for people to actually, you know, get into looking at it and, you know, asking me, you know, whether they are interested in it or not. But from uh, yesterday's session, I did get quite a few, you know, oh, great, this is something that, you know, reinforces the idea that warming up is beneficial to the fencers. Usually I get a lot of, this is a very nice presentation and it's very interesting type comments. Mm -hmm. But, you know, since the presentation was just yesterday and I've only been here for like a couple of days or so. So right. really this has not been exposed to a lot of people. Yeah. But... Uh, fresh off the plate, like you said. I like yeah, that. it is. <laughs> it is fresh off the plate. Yeah. But maybe throughout days and then when it gets to the final session on July 7th, maybe more people will come over to me and say, yeah, this is interesting. I want to learn more about it, you know. So how about how about you and your career path and, and your goals? Because now each phase of this project, you're seeing more and more of like fun stuff, but also like the paperwork side. So <laughs> has this changed or reinforced kind of what you want to do as a career? 
when you're older? I mean, how do I answer this question? <laughs> Obviously, the paperwork part of it doesn't make me as excited or keen about doing sure. medical research. But, you know, the whole experiment deals with human beings. You can't yeah. just go over to a person and say, hey, you're part of my study. Get over here. Right. It's, <laughs> it's easier. So, but, yeah. I know it's less paperwork, but, you yeah. know, it's just not ethically right. Yeah, So, sure. you, of course, you have to file all these paperwork to the IRB, even though it's very time-consuming. I actually was very lucky mm -hmm. to have met a magical friend who is, if you're watching this, I thank you very much for helping me. Her name is Mackenzie Dorsling. Mm. She really took the time to guide me through the IRB process. It's very nice that she was there to help me every step of the way, so I thank her for that. That's awesome. And I also, you know, thank everyone at Mount Sinai who, you know, gave this 14-year-old the opportunity to walk into such a reputed institution and then conduct uh, fencing experiments over there. So I thank all of them for that. That's really cool. But as a career standpoint, it has not really changed my view anyway, because I've always loved neuroscience, even even the year before when I just tinkered with backyard brains. So yeah, yeah I mean, there's really no change at all. I mean, That's besides awesome. the fact that it's a bit annoying filing paperwork. <laughs> but you saw the benefit of that because you got access to some equipment and, and people that maybe wouldn't have been possible. And then what about your fencing? How has that been going? And have you been able to incorporate any elements of what you're learning on the research side out on the strip or in practice? As from a fencing standpoint, I think I'm doing okay. I have been applying some of my research practices. I mean, just the fact that you warm up with a degree of intensity or sincerity. Mm -hmm. But I think I've been doing that since backyard brains phase of the project. So right. there hasn't been any new net new things that I've been changing. So to, you're continuing kind of what, what you yeah. started then yeah. and just almost getting more justification for it each step of the way, right? In a sense, yeah. not to put words into your mouth, but <laughs> that sounds like how it's been going. Yeah. And then lastly, you know, what advice do you have for other young fencers who might want to think about the science that goes into their entire fencing experience? Okay. Well, the first thing that before I get into the science part of it, yeah. I do want to say to all the young fencers out there, please warm up with a degree of intensity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because warm up really does benefit and improve your athletic performance, especially fencing performance. From a science standpoint, I think if we want to get into that science part of it, you should not let any setbacks stop you from what you want to do. Yeah. The human body itself is, you know, very complex, but it's also, you know, elegant and beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone, honestly, should be excited to find out how it really works, especially if people can find out how it works in the context of injuries or right. just if you're really keen on learning how it works, then, you know, nothing nothing should stop you from doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And also, it, it never hurts to ask, you know, for help reaching the next level, right? Because that's you got connected mm -hmm. to Dr. Zachary and, and the team at Mount Sinai and 
they saw a talented and, and passionate young person and decided to take a chance, maybe we could say, and, oh, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. invite you there. I, and I think out. take the chance is the right word. <laughs> worked out yeah. so well. Yeah, it really does not hurt at all to ask for help. I can actually share this uh, one story of yeah, mine. Please. So before I went to Mount Sinai, they told me that I had no clue what equipment was going to be used. Mm -hmm. So I asked them, and then they said, oh, we're using something called Delsis. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know what it is. Right. So I Googled at it, and I looked at their products, and I'm like, okay, maybe I should, you know, get some training or documents <laughs> or something before right. I, I should know. Watching YouTube videos, like how to use this. I should know how to use it before I, you know, go there and like make a fool of myself in front of <laughs> all of the participants. Right. So me and my dad called uh, customer service. Nobody picked up at first, so... <laughs> But then we tried calling again, and uh, one lady picked up. She happened to be the chairman of the company. Hmm. Her name is Davy Auntie. If you're watching this, I thank you very much for picking up the phone. I told her about, you know, what my research was and that I was going to do these experiments with your products. And so she was super keen on it, and she sent Miss Megan Shepard, who's a product support member. Mm -hmm. She also sent Mr. Alexander Santos, who is also another product support member. They both helped me very much in, and trained me into understanding both how to use it and also how to you know, analyze data that's coming from it using that's their cool. softwares. They were there in person to help uh, you out? No, this was they were in Boston, gotcha. so both of them trained me on virtual. Yeah, yeah. But I did eventually meet them in person, but nice. not during training sessions, just as a casual meet. So, but That's yeah, cool. it was, you know, it never really hurts to ask for help. You really don't know who you're going to come across to, you know, give you that. So I was very fortunate in that way. Well, and it's cool too, because they, they easily could have said, we're going to just use this machine and we'll give you the data at the end. But instead yeah. they're like, no, we're going to teach you how to do it which is actually kind of inspiring to hear about and, and really cool. Well, this has been great. Speaking of inspiring, yeah. this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Sapria. And yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Again, our first <laughs> repeat guest, so that's awesome. And then good luck with your fencing today and yeah. the tournament. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast again. It's been great. Thanks for listening to First to 15, the official podcast of USA Fencing. We'll be back with our next conversation in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on all the latest fencing news by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you like this podcast, please help us grow and reach more people by leaving us a rating or review. Until next time, I'm Brian Wendell, and I hope to see you real soon out on the strip. Bye. Bye.